Hey guys, happy Wednesday. I'm Lynn Nitcher, your host for Drive Through Moms. Each episode, we're going to be talking to ordinary moms that are serving others in extraordinary ways. I can't wait for you to hear how God is using these amazing women to impact the lives of those around them. Here we go. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Lynn? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm super sad, though, that you're not my neighbor next door doing this because you guys were going to buy that house and you ended up going somewhere else. Where did you guys end up? Okay. We did come very close, actually, to buying that house right next door to you. I am super Um, sad. (laughs) (laughs) We decided to do something totally different. Um, We decided to move out to the air quotes country a little bit and uh, ended up buying a brand new house. And um, it sits on an acre of land and it kind of ticked all the boxes, except it was a little further out than what we had thought we would go, but we really like it. So you're liking, so is, is it Melissa? Is that technically considered the country? But I feel like that's the country from where we are. I mean, well, from where we're from, it is definitely the country from what you and I were used to, because I lived very close to you before. Um, it is technically unincorporated McKinney. Okay. And our neighborhood is split and kids either go to uh, McKinney schools or Melissa schools. Okay. So are y'all liking Melissa? My parents love, they've been up there for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, but y'all are actually getting some restaurants and stuff up there. Yes. I think we picked the right time to come this way. We don't (laughs) spend a lot of time in Melissa um, because as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, Trey and I both work. And so we're not in Melissa a lot because we're headed south into town to work. Um, and yes, that is a phrase that I use now into town, which is funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) I'm going into town. That's funny, especially. So tell me a little bit about before. So I know you mainly from, uh, met you several years ago and our experience has been more so what I know of you the last few years with your, um, survivor story, which we'll get into in a little bit, um, which is really what I want to get to talk about. But um, before all of that and kids, and just tell me a little bit about, there was life before family additionally. Yes, there was, there was life before family. There was life before children. Mm-hmm. Um, there was certainly life before um, diagnosis started rolling in. And I grew up in Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma girl. I met my husband at the University of Oklahoma. Um but he's a Texas boy and he got us back here as quickly as possible. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> so we gra- we both graduated from the University of Oklahoma and then I finished law school at the University of Tulsa. Um, Tulsa is my hometown. It's where all my family is. And I really thought that we would end up there. Um, but as we learn, as we get older, sometimes we make plans and God laughs. Yeah. And <laughs> So he brought us to Texas, and uh, we've been here since uh, before I graduated from law school, actually. And um, so Trey and I lived here. We started over in Irving and then ended up in Plano, where he was from. And um, that was kind of our life beforehand. We both worked. Um, I'm an attorney. He does logistics for a petrochemical company. And um to that end, we've done the same thing pretty much uh, the whole time we've worked. Um, so we were married five years before we had our first, and uh, we had a, 
had Gracie um, in 98 and then Garrett came in 2000 and um, we moved to McKinney in 2000 at the same time as we had Garrett. And I continued to work until Gracie went to kindergarten. And then um, God made it really clear to us that it was time for me to stay home. And we would call that kind of one of our very first journeys. We've been on several distinct journeys, we think, during our marriage. And um, staying at home was really one of the first ones. And God just worked it out that that was the best thing. And we took a big leap of faith. And um, I started staying home with my kids and was home with them for 13 years and um, went back to work full-time in 2015. And um, the kids were getting older. Gracie was headed to college and Garrett was in high school. And we just thought it was the time for me to do that. So, so, so Garrett's out of school too, right? They're both out. Yes. Thankfully now I have two beautiful adult children. Um, Gracie is in Birmingham, Alabama. That's where she went to college at Stanford University. Graduated from there and has stayed out there and is working. Garrett graduated from high school um, two Mays ago. And he is in his sophomore year at Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches and loves it there and is so happy at this point, as you can imagine, to be back on campus, living in the dorm. Yeah. In all of its different glory of what it, you know, what it looks like now with, has he got any of his classes online? Because I know a lot of the kids, some are online and some are, um, you know, in person, but Reed's yes. been pretty good. He's got half and halves. He's got some friends that have no classes in person, but. Correct. That is Garrett's story as well. Um, he has a combination. He has one class that is always in person. He has one class that is in person, but he only goes every other class period. And then he has some that are doing virtual or Zoom. And then he has one that is just simply an online class. There's no live portion to it at all. So it, it is a mix of learning types. Thankfully, he has lots of flexibility and really just seems to roll with it. And he seems to be fine with whatever the teacher or the group chooses. So that's good. Cause I know it, it, this is not the time to be really somebody that doesn't handle flexibility very well, <laughs> right. or, you know, it, that wants that because it's just so different on a daily basis. But, um, uh, I wasn't sure where he was. So do you know, you just mentioned Tulsa, I could have sworn I saw somewhere. Um, do you know the Scheibners from Tulsa or was oh, that just? Yes. Okay. okay. Jennifer Scheibner and I, she was Jennifer LeClider before then. Um, dear, dear, sweet family. We started school together, I believe, in the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Um, we met the, and we met Jennifer's family and um, I went to high school elementary, middle school, high school with her and her husband, Chris. And I've known them basically my whole life. I must've just seen that, you know, you have like suggested friends or mm -hmm. you'll see people pop up and I'm like, I thought maybe I saw you come up on with her, maybe had to do with a Metro and that's a school or something. Yes, that's where we all okay, that or I just, I don't even know some of her friends, but I know I've seen her friends. Anyway, I just thought, wait a minute, Tulsa, maybe that's where they know. And obviously you know her as well. Yes, obviously we know her as well and love her. And she's probably somebody I'm going to twist her arm to be on at some point. But I think that's another story. Um, so empty nest. Yes. Love it. Hate it. 
still adjusting? I would say that we um, are still adjusting. You know, we spent the fall adjusting and thought, okay, we kind of hit our stride. We had a lot of other house selling and buying going on at the same time, but we did kind of feel like we found our rhythm as empty nesters. And then our nest was full again. (laughs) Right. As we all experienced, you know, they all came home and they were here for an extended period of time. I've seen all these young mamas sending their kids back to elementary and high school right now. And they're like, spring break's finally over. And it is, that is what it felt like. It's exactly to school. And then they came back. So we actually are, are headed towards loving our empty nest. Yeah. I like that phrase. We're headed towards loving it. You see the potential of, of it being really great, but still an adjustment period for sure. sure. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about, I don't really know how to transition. That's like a hard transition, how to really get into, you know, past, you know, your work life as an attorney and then your stay at home mom life. And, and you mentioned having some different journeys along the way, but what happened with your hardest story, probably, I don't know, you be the mm-hmm. judge of that, but um, your cancer diagnosis that just had to completely change everything. Well, I love what you just said about, I don't know how to do this transition. This is a hard transition. And let me tell you, it is an enormously hard transition to make. And you are one thing one day and you are another thing the next day. And and it changes your life forever. So there's no easy transition. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, how do you just jump right into that? But I'll just... Yeah, no, it just in real life, in reality, it is yeah. a transition and it happens overnight. Um, I can tell you that um, I was 49 years old, which became was key or was a factor I, I would learn later on. I had just turned 49 in November and in December, I was getting ready for work one day and in the shower and felt a lump underneath my left armpit. And, you know, you do one of those things where you feel it and then you go, oh, wait, is there one on the other side? And, you know, you check it. No, nope, yeah, there's yeah. not. And you, when you get out of the shower and Trey, do you feel that? You know what we all do. And he said, yes, I feel that too. And no, there's not one over there. And so I called my internist. And I did not call my OBGYN because the lump was underneath my armpit and not in one of my breasts. Right. So I didn't even consider calling my OBGYN, to be honest. And so I called my internist and she got me right in and looked at it and said, that's a swollen lymph node. And um, Jennifer, those are just usually just nothing. And I had been sick a couple of weeks before and been on some antibiotics and stuff. So we kind of thought, well, maybe it's just from that. But she said, we'll just go ahead and do an ultrasound to check. And so the next day I went and did an ultrasound. And I say the next day, all of that is gray somewhat as far as timing goes. But the next thing that happened was an ultrasound, I believe the next day. And the, it was the first time where, um, I did have a feeling that maybe something was not going to be right. Um, the sweet ultrasound tech spent her time doing her thing and um, spent a lot of time looking at that lymph node. 
And she just, you know, at the end of it said, you know, I'm not the doctor, but don't be surprised if they want to do a CAT scan following this. And I was like, okay. And I left thinking, okay, it's fine. And sure enough, my doctor called me just shortly thereafter and we had a CAT scan scheduled and um, the CAT scan was, we had a little trouble getting it scheduled by the end of the week. And we didn't know that that was something that we should alert people to and didn't realize that our doctor could have got me in faster. We just were not in that world. We've never right. been in this world before. Right. So the early the next week, we had a CAT scan at two o'clock, I think on a Tuesday. And by five o'clock, we had a diagnosis. My internist called me and said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, Jennifer, but yes, that is a swollen lymph node in your armpit and there is a mass in your left breast. And um, so you didn't even feel a lump in your breast at all. It just was a result of the lymph node that you had no idea the lump in your breast was even there. Right. And um, the interesting thing about that is, is the lump, like when you think of finding a lump in your breast, you think of it being like a rock. Right. And my mass was not in that kind of form. If you hold your hand open and spread your fingers, that's what my mass looked like. Um, it had lots of fingers and it was not a hard knot. So it, I would have never probably found it myself. In fact, I went all through treatment and really could never tell you where exactly it was. Um, my doctors could look at me and not touch me and know exactly where it was. They could see it. Um, but wow. it's, which is a little alarming. Um, sure. Because yeah, we're looking for one thing. And, uh, and I'm always quick to say too, I was completely current on my mammograms and, um, uh, my mammogram had been about seven months before that. And as far as I know, it did not show up there. Um, my attorney brain wants to see that report and see that film and see if it was really there and somebody missed it. But we decided, sure. we decided early on that we were not going to go down that path. It didn't matter. This is what we had and we were going to treat it. So um, that's kind of how I found it. Um, Thankfully, my internist, I've been with him 20 years. um, He's at a hospital in Plano and he really just took over. And he said something that stuck with me um, and has always stuck with me. And I'm super glad he made this decision. But he told me that day on the phone, he said, Jennifer, if we had a little breast cancer, we would treat here, but we don't. We have a lot of breast cancer. And if it was my wife, we would go to UT Southwestern in Dallas. So that's where we're going to go. And that's where we went. And he made all the appointments. He found the oncologist. He he and his staff absolutely did everything. And all I did was wait for phone calls. That's amazing. That's awesome. I know my mom, my mom's... Uh, my mom was diagnosed, I guess, in 2014. Um, so to hear to hear your story is, I mean, everybody's story is completely different, right? And everybody's, mm-hmm. I remember them telling us about, because um, I want to get into like what your treatment looked like. But I know my mom's, they kept telling us, you know, they would come up with a cocktail basically. And, and what you're going to get, he's like, don't talk to other people about what their treatment's like or what their prognosis is like, because everybody's just completely different. Um, but I know my mom's process of even finding out and being di- diagnosed was multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she, and hers was visible. I mean, she saw it in, in her mirror at home, um, and even looked a slight discoloration, Mm -hmm. um, to the, you know, to your visible eye. And so the process of getting her in and getting her tested and getting her diagnosed and I mean, and then getting in for surgery and all that stuff, it just, maybe it was just me. I know even for her, it seemed like it took a long time, but like start to finish of when she was tested and, and found out to when she ended up having surgery was two months, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seemed like forever, especially when you're waiting and you're kind of like, it's like, it's like finding that you had to have a test on a Friday and you, then you don't hear anything by then. And you got to wait the whole weekend. You're like, seriously? Well, the the had to be hard. yes, it was super hard. Um, and part of the timing was my very first finding it was, I believe, December 6th. So what happened is we ran up into the holidays. So, you know, it took a week to basically get a diagnosis. It took the next two weeks um, into the holidays to actually do all the tests that they do to figure out exactly what it is and exactly what your treatment's going to be. But we knew that um, right after the holidays, I would start treatment. And even in the very first phone call, my internist was able to tell me, Jennifer, there's enough here that I can already tell you, maybe not in what order, but I can already tell you that treatment is going to involve chemotherapy it's going to involve surgery and it's going to involve radiation. So some people, you know, like you said, everybody's journey is different. Um, We have had other journeys in our life and in our family where if you know one person with that issue, then you know one person with that issue and everybody looks different. Breast cancer is kind of the same way and everybody's journey looks different. I think it depends on what cancer they find, where it is, where all it is, where you're treating how old you are, you know, all these different factors. That's why you can talk to 10 ladies that have had breast cancer and their journeys can be wildly different. Right. Did you find that talking to other women, I mean, was that kind of a natural thing? Was it something that you like, oh, I have breast cancer. I want to find a support group. Or did you just find people naturally in the course of going to treatments or, um, you know, sitting in chemotherapy rooms wrapped in a blanket while you're receiving it. That's a great question. Um, actually we, um, are in a life group at church. And as soon as we announced to our life group on a Sunday morning, what we had found out that week, you know, ladies after class immediately came up and said, Oh, you have to meet Amanda. Amanda's about nine months ahead of you. Um, you've got to meet her because, you will want to talk to her because she's on this journey too. And she's far enough ahead of you that you can um, visit with her. And so I did meet with her and um, she was somebody that could just fill me in on the process. Just right. what is it going to look like when I have surgery or what is it going to look like when chemo starts? And now we had completely different kinds of breast cancer and our treatments were different, but yet Chemo's chemo. When you get it, might be different. Surgery, surgery. And it was good to have somebody like that, that I could then also go back to during the process and say, hey, this is what I'm hearing or seeing. What did you do? Or what do you have? Now, I will tell you, that was a great person to have. I also was introduced to people that it was not as great to talk to them because, um, their journey either just looked completely different than mine. Their perspective was different than mine. 
And I found that um, sometimes I had to be protective of myself. Sure. And just know that that was not, you know, that was not good for me at that time. Maybe down the road, I could have a conversation with that person, but not right now. Right. And knowing to set those boundaries of, you know, everybody wants to help or feels like they have something to contribute or maybe are awkward and don't know what to say, but they know somebody that had something. But I think, like you said, perspective, um, even just as a mom or, um, you know, everybody has their own birth story, right? And, right. and you want to tell it because it was yours and it was it, you know, everybody loves to retell their birth story. You hear moms do that all the time, but you're doing that around some poor pregnant woman who's like, oh my gosh, you're scaring me to death. I don't need to know that. Or but yeah, it, it was a lesson early on where I realized sometimes it is better to say nothing. Yes. And, and it is awkward because people want to um, be understanding and, you know, love on you and they try their best to relate and, um, and you appreciate the effort you do, but sometimes it's better to just be there. And sometimes you don't say anything. Yeah. Um, I will say as far as support groups though, um, I didn't find any through the cancer center. I found during treatment, I, I wanted to act like I didn't have cancer. So I didn't <laughs> want to um, avail myself of all of the resources that they provided. Sure. I just wanted to go get treatment and go home. Yeah. Um, thankfully I had a very good friend who said, um, Karen Runyon, who said, she knew somebody who had been through treatment and a friend of hers took her to every treatment. And that ended up being probably one of the best gifts that we were given through the whole process is that Karen would take my mom and I, because my mom came for every treatment and surgery. Karen would drive us to treatment. She would, she learned the process. I mean, she knew where to park. She knew how to do the valet. She knew how, what medicine I needed, what you know, did I need ice this time or did I need sure. a blanket this time? And so having somebody like that who can really take a burden off of you, because when you have to go from McKinney to downtown Dallas, not everybody is gifted at making that drive and navigating all that when, <laughs> so the Dallas traffic entails. And yes, the Dallas traffic entails and that that campus, the Southwestern campus yes. entails. Um, so it, that was really a gift. I didn't even recognize it so much at the time, but I certainly came to recognize that that was a gift and a real support uh, for our family. Right. No, and I would I would agree because even with what my just from our experience um, with my mom, there were times I had to learn. Okay, just be quiet. Don't push. Um, I because I wanted her because I process things verbally clearly. And I wanted her to be able to have somebody else to talk to that was going through the same thing. But even from her perspective at the time, um, she had, so Baylor, she was at Baylor McKinney and, uh, they had, she had a nurse navigator. So her nurse navigator, mm -hmm. who she still talks to every now and then, um, was phenomenal with just kind of, she was kind of her touch point of like, Hey, you have any questions you let me know. And she put together all these kinds of events at the hospital and things. Right. And, but even from mom's perspective, going through in the middle of it, she's like, I don't, I don't really want to go. I, it's sad. It's hard. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm sad. I'm having trouble processing it. I don't really want to go sit with other people also processing it because it made her sad as well. And it was just a hard thing, right? And I recognize to an extent, I didn't process it. I do recognize 
my mentality was you put your head down and you do the next thing. Just put your head down and do the next thing. And I trusted my doctors. I trusted our team. um, I trusted those around me who were taking care of me and my family. And I just, if you think about it too much, it's frightening. Sure. And I didn't want to think about it. I still don't want to think about it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and so in the process, I, you don't have a lot of choices. So just do the next thing. Put your head down, do the next thing. And as the journey went on and my surgeries went on for reconstruction, um, I could feel myself as events would be coming. I could feel myself go into that mode of don't think about it. Put your head down and just do it. And that's how I managed to get through each one of those, whether it was a chemo treatment or a surgery or whatever it was. That's just the way my brain works. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. I just finished a book um, with my mom and my sister-in-laws and I are doing this book club and we just finished this book. Um completely different topic, but it's about a woman going through something ridiculously hard, trying to get her family out of Mexico, into the United States, away from the cartel. Like I said, totally different subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she was terrified for her life and she was trying to protect her son and getting to the States, she just, she would be describing a situation. She would just say, don't think about it, Don't think about it. What, what do I have to do? Just what's the next thing? Tell me what to do. I'm just going to do it. Because yeah. she's like, when I got to the point that I thought about it, and the fact that I was terrified and I could die, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sit there. I, I couldn't stop because I would sit there mm-hmm. and I couldn't camp on that moment. Um, but that was just a phrase that she commonly refused, you know, re- uh, repeated in the book. That was really, that was really pretty amazing when you think about it. But so how long did you go through treatment before you kind of got to the other side, at least to where you were? could breathe. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, sometimes I describe the process as, um, I had a year of active treatment, chemo and radiation, and then I had a year of reconstruction surgeries. Um, it was probably sometime after, um, radiation and my treatment plan consisted of 16 weeks of radi of chemotherapy. And after chemotherapy, I had a double mastectomy and then I healed from that. And then I had six weeks of radiation every day. Wow. And probably sometime that fall, um, that really went from, you know, my first surgery, getting a port put in was in the first week in January. My first treatment was the first week in January and I finished, um, radiation mid August and sometime that fall, I think. I finally realized, okay, you know, we've made it. We made it to the other side because naively when I was diagnosed, I thought, oh, by summer, we'll be done with this. I'll get my chemo and some radiation and then we'll be done by summer and we'll just, you know, pick right back up. Yeah. Yeah. Clueless, totally clueless of what it was going to do to me and to our life and our family and how long it was really going to take. So probably sometime that fall, I realized, okay, we've made it through phase one sometimes what I call it. We made it through the treatment phase and, um, you know, and then I had a year of surgeries basically to look forward to. So 
Yeah, it was uh, chemo ended up not being as hard as what I thought it would be. It um, they give you lots of drugs to make you not be sick, which mm-hmm. I think is very different than chemo for lots of other cancers. Um, so we made it to there without, you know, just violent sickness. In fact, they tell you if you're sick more than once, then you're supposed to call. So right, um, right. And they'll do something about that. So um, it was not as bad as what I anticipated it being possibly. I'm sure if you ask those around me, they might, you know, their opinion might differ. What was interesting is everybody told me about treatment was that radiation would be the easy part. And for me, radiation ended up being harder. Um, It was just seemingly harder on my body than what either I anticipated or others experience or what, but um, that six weeks, I was more sick um, that six weeks than I had been even during my chemo treatments. So really, so like, I mean, I don't want to be graphic unless you want to be, but like sick, how I know when mom mom had radiation, it was more like a sunburn and that was pretty much right. Her Um, extent. Now she was 74, 74, 75 when she was diagnosed. Right. Um, Well, I think, like I said, I was 49. That in the breast cancer world is still considered young, although Mm -hmm. I know now that there are so many mamas out there that um, are diagnosed oftentimes while they're breastfeeding babies. They recognize that something's going on. So I know there are lots of young moms out there. Um, But what I learned is that your treatment somewhat is based on your age, you know, and because they believe you have X number of years to still live and survive. And sometimes I felt like I had the kitchen sink thrown at me Mm. and um, my radiation ended up. um, I'm not a, I'm not a um, small person, but I'm not a big person. Um, I'm kind of right in the middle and it's like there wasn't a lot of extra for the radiation to get to. So, um, you know, one day I was in the closet and Trey said, did you know that you have a red square on your back? And I was like, no. And that's because it was burning, not just when it went in, but it was still burning on the way out of me, the radiation. Oh gosh. And my under my arm, because of course that's where the lymph nodes were and that's where the radiation they were really getting after. Um, I don't know what kind of burn you would call it. It certainly was more than a sunburn. Um, I lost all my skin um, underneath my arm um, and down my side a little bit. And um, the fatigue that came with it in the last two weeks was just um, debilitating. I I don't know what else to say. And I don't stop very easily, but um, I, I can, you know, remember sitting at the table thinking I've never, ever felt like this before. And, and you smell bad, you smell like charcoal, your mm-hmm. breath smells like charcoal, your being smells like charcoal. <laughs> it's and my mom was always like, your taste, it's like nothing oh, tastes yes. good. And nothing tastes good. It really was mm-hmm. uh, quite the experience, actually. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, we, we got through that. And, um, and I don't know if you want me to talk about choices after that, after treatment? Yeah. Just like what I, I just want to know really, I mean, from my perspective and what I'm hearing, it sounds like your family played a big part. 
your friends that were around you that really knew you knew what you needed and asked you, Hey, I think this would help. Let me know if this would help that you had that support. Um, and you, you know, you got to the other side, but because of those people, right. Only because of that. And the, and obviously, you know, as a woman of faith then, and being in the, in the church with the Mm -hmm. church family that that just, you know, the fingers extend so wide and so long to, to support that's there. Um, You obviously had a huge prayer network of people that were praying for your treatment and your family and things that were going on. But um, I guess, how do you feel like, I mean, since we're talking about moms, how do you feel like what you went through changed your perspective, maybe in from what you felt, was important with your kids before versus after mm. cancer. I mean, cause you know, the older we get, the more we see things that we harp on maybe when the kids are younger um, is maybe not what we care about when they're bigger, because we've learned, we've got a little bit behind us that we're like, yeah, that was, I don't know why I made such a big deal out of that. Um, how do you think all of that really changed your perspective from a mom's perspective and how you related to Garrett and Gracie? Well, I will tell you, we said from the very beginning, like day two, if this was just Trey and I, it would be one journey and we can do this and we can fight this. And But when you add in the fact that you have children, that you're mm-hmm. going to have to sit down and tell that yeah. mom has breast cancer and here's what the next year is going to look like, it changes you forever as a sure. mom. Um, you never want to disappoint your kids. You never want to make your, your job is to make sure they're not scared. Right. And here you are <laughs> creating this, you know, this situation or I mean, not that I created it, but, you know, in this situation that is going to make them scared. And um, that is, you know, as a mom, it just breaks your heart. And it was one of the hardest nights um, when we set them both down. Thankfully, the timing worked out that Gracie was coming home from school and we could keep it under wraps until she got home. And we were able to tell them um, together and in person. So telling them was one of the hardest things. Um, your It changes your perspective on everything, including parenting. And you're right. Things that were important before, all of a sudden really aren't that important anymore. Yeah. And um, I, want the, I want to spend as much time with them as I can. Um, the time factor changed in my brain about how I spend time with them. And, um, I pay attention to that. Not that I didn't spend time with them before they lived at our house and we raised them and, you know, we definitely spent time with them, but, um, but you can be in the room with somebody spending time with them and not really spending time with them. Right. right. You're just watching TV versus exactly time and, with somebody and being intentional, maybe about what it is you're doing or talking uh, about, or yeah, we'll talk about what we do and, um, and just the connection that we make with them. Yeah. You start to think about, literally, this sounds terrible, but you start to think about, okay, what have I not done? What do I still need to do? What do I still need to tell them? What do I still need to, you know, make sure they know and understand? And really it comes down to, if I was gone tomorrow, do they know that their mother loved Jesus first, loved their daddy and loved them? Yeah. And really, if I, if they know that, then, and that they love Jesus too and know Jesus, if if that's what I've communicated to them and been an example of, then 
that's called success, I think. Yeah. Then well done. Yeah, well done. I can't imagine having to sit down and have those conversations. I mean, I know there's there's times when we have to tell our kids something and you don't want to burst their little bubble over whatever the situation is. Um, but having to know you're going to, um, you know, drop something on them that heavy and yet feel like, you know, as the older and obvious parent that you're supposed to be honest with them, but at the same time, still be encouraging and be uplifting and, you know, point them in the right direction and all that. And yet maintain your own sanity in the middle of, of something. What, what do you think really gave you the most strength? Mm. I mean, I think I know the answer, but, um, how did God really manifest his presence? Yeah. Such a great question. Um, Jesus is the answer. Yeah. You know, um, God's word is the answer. He, his people, the family that he put me in, um, that I grew up in and that surrounded us, the family that I married into that surrounded us. Um, he manifested himself <laughs> in so many ways. Um, the strength that he gave us to tell the kids and um, the kids also provided me with a um, a real awareness of what does it look like? What do I sound like? I wanted to make sure they knew that we believed we were going to beat this and um, and you want to be strong. So it yeah. didn't, you know, I couldn't waller too much because I certainly didn't want to see them see me waller. So we weren't going to do that. I love the word Waller. I just, I love that word. My dad well, used that word There lot. weren't Waller moments. I mean, just, in the mire. I was in the mud and the mire. But sure. my mom, very wise, would tell me, that's fine. You can be there. Just don't stay there. Just don't stay there. And that's just kind of the way we, we did that. But I will tell you, I, um, the fall before diagnosis, I had started, picked up an old devotional that I had been using years before that, just the simple original Jesus calling book. And mm-hmm. I picked it up. I mean, literally opened my little book cabinet, taking it back out sometime in the fall. And I had started using it again, not every single day, you know, a few times a week, but I was kind of in that it was, it was interesting. And girl, when diagnosis happens, when crisis happens, you know what we all do. We all dive deep into God's work. You're like, where's my Bible? Where did I leave that one? And I just, he just worked so many ways, so many different ways. But me being in that Jesus calling book, Lynn, it was written for me. The days lined up perfectly. So many days I woke up and whatever I was feeling Whatever we were experiencing, whatever we were getting ready to do, God showed up in that crazy little devotional book with scripture that was alive and active and straight to the point and exactly what I needed. And it was such a reminder that your Bible's sitting there all the time. Yeah. Um, God's word is God's word and it is active and alive if we will just get ourselves in it. Right. And I will tell you, he provided his word provided exactly what we needed. So many times Trey would laugh because he would wake up at six in the morning and I had already been up for an hour and I'd be sitting in my recliner out in the living room with my Bible open, 
just sobbing. One out of fear, I, I, I will admit it is a fearful time. And even survivorship is a fearful time. But God tells us repeatedly not to be afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he, one morning he gave me the story of Peter going out onto the water where Jesus already was out in the storm. And when Peter started looking around and saw the storm, he began to doubt and began to sink. And immediately, the Bible says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And we lived that picture so many times through the journey that we step out of the boat in faith. I know God is faithful. I know he loves me and I step out, but then things start happening around you and mm-hmm. you start looking and you start hearing what the doctor says and you start feeling this way and your body hurts and, and you start to look around and you start to get anxious and doubt. And Jesus immediately sticks his hand out and catches you. As soon as you say, Lord, save me, just like Peter did. He reaches his hand out and grabs you. He doesn't say, I've already told you not to doubt or, you know, I love you. <laughs> True. Or, you know, he doesn't do that. He immediately reaches out his hand, catches you, and then wraps his arm around you and tells you to have faith and don't doubt. But he doesn't wait. He just saves you. And, and it it's was, that moment where you take your eyes off and yes. you look down. It's that moment where he stops looking at what he got out of the boat for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because uh, I was talking to Melissa earlier and, um, you know, we walk our neighborhoods all the time. And we were talking about how it was so interesting to see so many more people out and mm-hmm. um the older I get, you know, Reggie and I argue about where to walk in the neighborhood. He's like, I don't know why you walk out on hard and it's so loud and crazy. And I'm like, it's wider. And the older I get, some of these older neighborhoods, the, the sidewalks are a little bumpy and mm-hmm. um, have branches under them. And I'm like, I'm going to trip. And I feel like I just look down mm-hmm. because I want to see where I'm going to step. And so when I'm looking down, I can't see where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, I have to go out on these bigger, wider paths where I feel a little bit more comfortable, but I can keep my head up and looking at what I really, uh, where I'm really going. And God just really, one of the last times I was walking and it was starting to get a little bit dark. Um, and I hadn't had to really look down in a while. And I had a little, my flashlight on my phone out and it was just, he just kind of whispered, you know, this is what it means to keep, you know, your eyes up and not have to look down is to, you know, stay in my presence, stay in, like you said, we have those moments where we hear all the noise of the world, whether it's a breast cancer diagnosis or a family member that's sick or just the busyness of life or a job that's not going well or whatever it is. And we let those things crowd our time. And I think you said something about this once about, um, especially as moms, you know, looking back at all the things that we let crowd our time with our family mm-hmm. out of, well, everybody else is doing it, you know, or, well, all of our kids are involved in this or that, or, you know, just all the things that we let kind of crowd that we, we crowd out time that we spend with the Lord one-on-one, just us. Um, and we just push those reminders out on purpose. It's our fault. Um, that we, because we're not reminding ourselves that he is good and he is there and he is always present. And he does remind us, like you said, over and over in scripture, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm not going to leave you. Um, that fear is not from him. Um, and, but we let 
the world and just our daily life get busy, overcrowded, right? Yeah, overcrowded it's overstimulated, and not, not totally overstimulated with, with just what? everything that we don't make an appointment with God. We'll make appointments for everything else, but we, we miss that. And I think it's one thing I do like about getting older is I feel like maybe some of the knowledge that we've picked up through the years. I mean, I think, I feel like I'm a few years older than you are, um, has finally maybe sinking in a little bit to where I feel like, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. I'm, I'm done with that. You know what? I don't, I don't care. I've not really been a big TV person. Um, we lot watch a lot of sports, but I'm like, after dinner, TV's off. I want to read. I want some time with Jesus. I want time with Reggie, you know, mm-hmm. and then well, refill my you. tank. Yeah. It's, it will change your um, perspective on, a lot of things. God will get your attention one way or the other. Um, and this will certainly change a, a diagnosis like this, an experience um, like this, whatever it is, will get your attention and it will reorder your priorities and reorder your perspective on how you see the world. And and it's not bad, a bad thing. You know, sometimes we need to be reordered and um, our perspective and our priorities change. And there's parts of it that I really like better on this side. Um, there's things that I just simply do not worry about because in the grand scheme of things, it just simply doesn't matter. Right. And some of that's age. Some of that's having adult children and not children that we're really still raising. Um, some of that is a cancer diagnosis and a journey like that. Um, it just and I think it's, it's something that, that COVID even has brought to, mm-hmm. I think the general population has seen that. Um, obviously, this we haven't seen this in years and years and years of having the entire world basically going through the same thing on a different time frame. Mm-hmm. But everybody has experienced what it's been like to be locked down, shut down from everything that you are used to doing um, and learn how to just be. Right. Um, and what is and that what look is like? really important? What's right. really important? People find a way to make happen. Right. You know, we're we're in the season of our kids' friends are all starting to get married, and so we're watching families navigate. You know, mm-hmm. what, what's really important is the big party important, or is the wedding, or you know, being married important? Is the trip important, or is the just getting married important? Right. It's been interesting to watch people navigate. Um, I think my perspective on the pandemic is is somewhat different in that, um, you know, something's already tried to kill me and it didn't. Something will one day, but I am not going to live in fear of it because I I already have to live in fear that cancer inside my body is going to show up again. Um, I'm not adding anything to that. And um, I, it's a fear thing. And I, I just simply don't want to live in fear. I'm already learning how to not live in fear as a survivor. And, um, I, you know, adding the pandemic to it just emphasized in my mind, at least, um, what it means to, to not live in fear. Things that are, that are out of my control. You know, I spent two years being out of control. Um, doctors, I just smile, nod, do the next thing. And, um, it's okay because I know God's still in control. He already knows um, what um, tomorrow looks like and what next year looks like. Um, I will say also, you ask how God manifested himself. 
and his word primarily. Um, and I said his people, but I want to make sure that I say um, to people, young mamas especially, to build those friendships and those relationships. Um, sometimes they're just longstanding relationships. They're not deep, but those people are there. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't emphasize enough how precious the people were around us. I mean, my family, first and foremost, they just, they, my mom, my sister, my dad, my brother, um, just surrounded us like crazy, making sure we did not have one need that went unmet. Um, and then our friends and we, we knew we had friends and we knew we had good people around us, but um, to see the people around us just rise up and meet needs, whether it was food, whether it was laundry, whether it was um, getting stuff done around our house, it, it was really, it was really an amazing thing to watch. And you just have to know that God puts people in your life for a reason. Sometimes you're really good friends with them. Sometimes you're just acquaintances, but you never know when that relationship is going to become really important. Right. And we had people just shower us um, with blessings that were almost uncomfortable to us because we just had not ever been in a position to receive blessings like that from so many different people. But God uses those people. And, right. Um, and we're so grateful. And, and it's crazy because if the if the hard thing hadn't happened, we would have never experienced all that. Right. If, if the hard diagnosis hadn't come, yes, I knew those people were friends of ours. I knew we went to the same church or our kids went to elementary school together. Or, But yet the hard thing happened and people just surrounded and um, such a blessing to see, a blessing that you have in your life that maybe you don't get to see until you face something that's really hard. But we just think it's another manifestation, literally, literally of God's love uh, for us. You know, where the people are on just his provision, how he provides, even when you're like, I don't know how I can do this. You know, I, I, and you're exactly right. That was my mom's experience in terms of how he provided even physically with, um, I was working at, in the school district at the time and um, was I had taken a job that I was like from the very beginning, pretty much most people I knew was like, oh, my goodness, don't take that job. Um, <laughs> and I knew it was way out of my wheelhouse. It was um, an STC group uh, okay. uh, and at Lawson. Um And I knew nothing about I mean, I have a French degree and I'm certified to teach French. Um, which some people don't know that, but just because I never did it. Um, but I worked in this, uh, in an STC class with preschoolers that um, were on the spectrum to some degree or another. And, but I met a, one of the teachers who that year was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and another friend, we really got hit hard. There were nine of us in our, in our team. Um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. One of her aides, um, husband was diagnosed with cancer that year, but she became in particular such a good friend to me and took meals to my parents. Mm-hmm. I've already cried once this morning on another. I, <laughs> so, um, I 
it just was such a blessing and never met my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she knew, and this was, you know, a couple of years after I wasn't even there anymore. Um, but God had prepared me. God had prepared that relationship with her mm-hmm. um, to just for A, to prepare my heart just generally of, hey, this is what's coming. This is what you're going to kind of walk along your mom with. Um, but just to see him provide and, and somebody that I hadn't even known. Um, and then to see her, how she blessed my mom, just didn't mm-hmm. even know my parents, but took him dinner and how that affected my parents. But um, I think that's what is so amazing about your story is I know you said at one point that you, I guess, have a Facebook page separate of your personal yeah. one that you talk about this a little bit. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, I think we've learned from our pastor is that he's very much about what has God taught you? Who are you going to tell and be obedient and sharing what he's done in your life? Um, And how do you share that? Who are you going to share that with? And then are you going to really follow through? Um, So I love that you agreed to talk to me about all this. I mean, obviously I knew your story from an outsider and not really, super involved in all of it at all. But um, so if somebody heard this today and feels like, oh my goodness, I would love to talk to her. Is it okay for me to put it on, you know, the show notes and that they can get in touch with you basically through the Jennifer's journey on your Facebook? Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. I, I am happy to tell um, the story and talk to somebody who might be experiencing something like it, or they know somebody that, might be experiencing something like it. Um, I think um, God makes it part of our story. It's just a chapter in the story of of my time here, and um, He gives it to us for a reason. And sharing it with others is is part of is part of that. So um, on Facebook, I'm Jennifer Morrison, and then um, there's a private page called Jennifer's Journey. And um, there's several Jennifer Jennifer's Journey, I think, on Facebook. If you looked it up, um, the icon has a pink flower on it or the picture has a pink flower on it. Um, and I'm happy to all you have to do is request to become a member of that group. And I'll admit whoever it is <laughs> to become a public group. I'm not sure why it's still private, but um, certainly could do that. And uh, I'm happy to do it. And I'll say um, social media uh, with all of its negative, um, we learned very quickly after diagnosis that communication was going to be key and going to be hard. Yeah. Um, you figure out how many people, you know, very quickly and how, um, texting calling that was just not going to be a possibility. So my friend encouraged me to set up a Facebook page. And so I did, and it was interesting because it really was the place where people could stay up to date yeah. Um, if I went too long without posting, I, my phone would start to ding, you know, texts would start coming in from people, you know, wanting to know what was going on. And I knew then, oh, it's time to put something out on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and it was also very much a place, though, for those times when God really did show me something that it gave me a place to put it out there and for people to know, you know, yeah. what it sounds like in my head. And sometimes that's kind of scary. Um, well, and from a practical perspective, to be able to do it one time or on your terms, because I know even for my mom, it became very overwhelming for her. And I tried to kind of be the advocate of like filtering through Mm -hmm. 
to protect her time. And it was hard for her. She's like, I just can't talk about it again. I don't, I don't want to retell. Yeah. Not that she didn't want people to know she did. And she wanted, we were trying to make sure we kept people informed, but having something, having a person that helped you do that or having something um, like a Facebook page or a caring bridge or something like that, that you're able to update. Um, it was key. I'll tell you yeah. it's key. And I don't know how people did it beforehand. Um, you know, I, right. I there know is some to... good to social media. So I would agree. That. Yeah, you have to use it for what's good and, and not the for, other, good, not but... for evil. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart for agreeing to be on. And I'm so thankful for just getting to hear a little bit about what God has done in your life. And I know just from my perspective through the years that God has used you in a lot of ways before cancer, after cancer. And I'm very thankful um, that you just took a little bit of time to get to, to share that with me. Well, you're sweet to ask. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to to share the story and hope that maybe somebody out there might hear it and it might be encouraging to them if they're walking the breast cancer journey or if they have a friend or a family member um, that's experiencing that, maybe it gives a little bit of insight to that. So I appreciate you asking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thanks guys for listening to Drive Through Moms and we will see you guys next week and happy Wednesday. Thanks, Jennifer. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Man, God is so faithful in the good and the bad. And what an honor it is for me to get to chat with these women um, and these sweet souls. Uh, Be sure and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would appreciate it if you leave a great review. If you don't want to leave a great review, just skip that part. You can check us out on our website at drivethroughmoms.org for all of our stories and other resources. Until next week, happy Wednesday.